with us for the first time. For those of you that uh, maybe haven't been with us for a while, we're going through the, the book of 1 Corinthians together as a church. And within this series in 1 Corinthians, we, we've sort of got a mini-series, but it's actually becoming a bigger series, uh, as we look at the spiritual gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are about the spiritual gifts. And we've dived into uh, chapter 12, and we're into number 9 in this uh, session, looking at these uh, spiritual gifts. Now, last week we had a professor with us, one of Joshua's friends, and he was a professor in uh, AI and computers and things. And I just had to satisfy my curiosity, and I asked him if AI was safe, and he said, yes, of course it is. And so this week, I asked uh, ChatGPT 3.5, because I can't afford 4, or I don't want to afford 4. I asked this question, what makes a great sandwich? What makes a great sandwich? And I was staggered at the speed and, and the comprehensiveness that this IT came up, or this AI came up with this answer. And it came up with a list of 13 points. It's a good job that AI is not preachers, isn't it? Can you imagine sermons with 13? No, been there, sorry, no. Anyway, it talks about fresh ingredients. It talks about balance of flavors. It talks about texture and variety and condiments and spreads and bread selection and portion control. Bigger the better, I think. But anyway, that's by the by. Customization, cooking, grilling, presentation, seasoning, herbs, temperature, and creativity. And all I was looking for was this. All I wanted ChatGBT to say to me was, the filling is the most important part of a sandwich. Maybe you'd agree with me, yes? The, the filling is what makes a sandwich a sandwich, isn't it? Uh, the, the bread is good, but it, it's the filling that what makes you buy a sandwich. It's a feeling that makes you eat it. It's a feeling that makes you want to, to, to make it. And it's been said that this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is like a sandwich. That's what, that's what people have said. And, and chapter 13 is the filling of this sandwich. But the reality is the Corinthians had got the teaching wrong before, Yeah? The Corinthians thought that the bread was what it was all about and not the filling. And we need to remember that as we're going through this. I think this illustration will help us. This illustration will help us really get to grips with what this portion, these three chapters, is saying to us. And, and we're just on, on the crux of bouncing into chapter 13. We're not there yet. But I wanted to use this illustration to help us. Paul is taking us to the filling. Paul is taking us to the big teaching of this. And so often we get so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit that we miss the real big matter of what this is all about, which we will come to. So spoiler alert. Let's come back a few bits. We're still in the bread. We're still there. Paul is about to drop a bombshell. The whole of this chapter has been leading up to this bombshell that he's going to drop in the laps of these Corinthians who think they are super-Christians because they do supernatural things. And so I just want us to, to go through quickly, quickly, chapter 12 as a whole. So we get a flow for where it's going. 
Now, for this chapter 12, I'm going to put a lot of verses up behind me. Yeah? But I prefer you, if you want to and if you can, to have your Bibles open. So you can follow through these verses. Because when I come on to the next few points, I'm not going to have the verses behind me. But you may find it very helpful uh, to follow in the Bible. I have the references up, but I'm not going to have the whole verse up. See, Paul, in in, in chapter, in verse 1, he doesn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. God doesn't want us to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. You see, these people at Corinth, as we see in verse 2, had came from a, a culture that put a high emphasis on the supernatural. That their heathen worship beforehand, it involved the supernatural, it involved all sorts of strange things. And, and this was crossing into their church life. And Paul was saying, this is no. Paul, in, in verse 3, goes on to tell them, that the Holy Spirit and manifestations of the Holy Spirit through the, the gifts of the Spirit is to be all about Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is, should be solely pointing to Christ and Christ crucified. As we get into verses 4 and 7, we, we learn then, as the Corinthians have been taught, that the, the gifts of the Spirit were not just from the Holy Spirit. They were from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And the Trinity gives these different gifts. And these different gifts are given to different members of the church. And the primary focus of the gifts of the Spirit was for the benefit of the church, and the church is Christ. It's all pointing to Christ. Verses 8 and 10, and we went through these over a few, quite a few Lord's Days, quite a few Sundays, we looked at this. This is the first list of the different gifts that the one Spirit gives. The emphasis there throughout there is one Spirit, one Spirit, lots of different gifts, but one Spirit. And we get into verse 11, and, and the Corinthians were taught, and we are taught that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't not only gives or apportions these gifts, but he empowers them. We don't choose them. We don't grasp them. They are given to us. We don't learn them. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to whip ourselves up into a frenzy to gain spiritual gifts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit apportions, he gives, and he empowers. Verses 12 through to 17, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they are one body. This body is a church, a local church, the body of Christ. And this body is made up of different parts. And each part is essential. Each part is needed. You can't do without bits of it. You need it all. We need to be all. And so the emphasis there to the Corinthians was, your church needs you. It needs your individual gifts. It needs your individual personality. It needs you. It needs your time. It needs your effort. It needs your energy. Your church needs you because when you are not part of your local church, you suffer and the local church suffers too. God, through the Holy Spirit, in this passage in Corinthians, tells us that everyone in the body is vital to it. And God chooses the members of the body. We can put it like this. The church at Corinth 
was handpicked by God. You may think that's amazing. And if you think that's amazing, friends, the church at LPC, the members here, those of you that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been handpicked by God before eternity to be part of this church. And you're here for a purpose. And God has a plan for you. And your gifts and your abilities and who you are is all part of it. Verse 18, God has arranged these hand-picked people to make up a complete church. 2,000 years ago he was doing it. Right now he's doing it here. And he's doing it in the other churches around the world. Churches in Germany, churches in Hungary, churches from wherever you're from. God has brought them together. God has chosen these people, handpicked them, and arranged them. And verse 19 to 20, he goes on to emphasize that the church is made up by many parts. And the arranging of the church, and the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given to them, and the fact that the Holy Spirit gives each members for the exact right gifts that are needed for that community at that time, at that place. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the problem at Corinth, as we saw last week, was the church was suffering with an individualistic, selfish attitude. And this was seen throughout this book and comes up here. And what these guys were doing is they were being selfish and unrighteous with regard to the spiritual gifts that they've been given. So we use them in an individualistic way to, to show off, to gain uh, notoriety, to be the, the prominent, to be the most important. And, and this is dangerous. And this can be dangerous for us now. This individualistic, selfish attitude that the world teaches us is so important can be so dangerous as, to us as a church. We need to guard against it, not just in this area of, of spiritual gifts, but in all areas of our church life. Verses 21 to 25 were Paul setting out that no one is more important than the other. We, we are a church together. No one is more important. People have different roles, for sure. People have different gifts and abilities, for sure. People have different characteristics. And you just look around this room and you see a huge diversity. And we can celebrate that diversity. And we can delight in that uniqueness. But we are not individuals. We are a body. We are a body, a church, and we're needed. And each part of the body needs to be taken care of. And those individuals that could easily be overlooked, those individuals that maybe are difficult to get on with, those individuals that maybe have got gifts and abilities that we don't understand or like, they're all part of the church. And we are a family together. And we need to look out and care for one another. And verse 26 underlines this. Verse 26 says that the church at Corinth was be, to be united both in joy and in sorrows. In, in good times and in bad times. In highs and in lows. The church members, those that have been brought together through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, need to look out for each other and care for each other. So before Paul drops this bombshell, we're not going to get that till the very end of this morning because of the way it works out, but it is going to happen. It's going to hang over us. 
He reminds them of something. He reminds them in verse 27 that they are the body of Christ. He keeps coming back to this. It's like the chorus. You are the body of Christ. The gifts are for the body. The gifts are for Christ's kingdom and Christ's church. The gifts are for God's glory. And then again, for the third time in this chapter, in verses 18, 24, and 28, Paul stresses that God not man assigns the gifts. And I underline this, and I keep coming back to this, because tragically there is so much wrong teaching out there. Some of you have been told that you all have to speak in tongues. Well, who is that person to tell you that? When God's Word clearly tells us that that's the Holy Spirit's job. And some people tell you that you need to learn a gift How can you learn a gift? Sure, if you've got a gift, you can develop it, and you can ask the Holy Spirit to make you better at it. But you can't learn a gift. A gift is given to you. And and this is stressed and stressed by Paul, and it's been stressed by me. It was stressed by Paul back then because it was causing problems in the church, that wrong teaching. And I'm sure it was pretty much the same as what's going on now. And I'm stressing it now because so much spiritual heartache and spiritual abuse happens because people do not recognize or understand that the gift of the Spirit is from the Holy Spirit and nobody else. And it's a delight to have. And each one of you here trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been given a gift, or maybe gifts, by the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on after bringing this to them, to the second list of spiritual gifts. We've had that first one in those verses uh, 8 through to 10, and now we've got uh, another list. Now this list is different. We already noticed that when we were looking at the the first list, that the other lists were, were different. This list has different gifts are mentioned. So there's new ones added to it that are not on the first one. And some of the ones on the first one are not mentioned in this second one. The first three are numbered. I don't know if you noticed that. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. There's a numbering, and it stops. And then there's roles within the New Testament church that are listed here. And so that's a difference. So these these different gifts. So we have this verse 28, where we will be for most of our time for the rest of this morning. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. And so the, the same ones are this prophecy or prophets. Miracles, healings, and tongues. They're, they're the same. They're in the, the earlier list. And the different ones, the new ones that are added here are apostles, teachers, helping, and administration. And, I, and I'm linking here for the benefit of brevity, if we can be brief in this, as prophecy and prophets together, yes? Uh, and, and I'll explain more about that as we as we go through. Now, we're not going to go through the ones we looked at before. We went through those in, in quite a lot of detail. And, and so today, as we carry on in this series, as we look at these different gifts, I want us to take the apostles, the teachers, 
helping and administrating and, and look at those gifts uh, particularly. So that's where we are continuing to head this morning. So apostles. Apostles is the, the, the first one that we have in this list. And they come up as there, don't they? Firstly, uh, first uh, apostles. The, the original word here uh, originally meant uh, someone or something that was sent. Uh, it's, it's derived from a word to send. And then the Corinthians knew that Paul was an apostle. They knew that Paul was an apostle. They knew that he was sent by Jesus to minister to the church. And so I want us to to do exactly what we did when we went through that first list, is to see how this list applied to the Corinthians then. Okay, so 2,000 years ago, what was an apostle? What is an apostle? What is he? What were they about those 2,000 years ago? And, and we know these various things from God's Word. So we're going to go through God's Word, and we're going to look at this. And we, we, we know that Paul introduces this whole uh, letter. He, he announces himself uh, as, as an apostle. He announces himself. Uh, no, he doesn't. Announce, yes, he announces there, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother uh, who's also writing the letter to, or probably the amanuensis. But here is Paul. He is an apostle, and it's by the will of God. Apostles were commissioned and sent by God, by Jesus, because they had a special job to do for the church. The 12 disciples were referred to as apostles. And it's interesting, all 12 initially were referred to as apostles, and Judas was within that number. And we all know what happened to Judas. He proved not to be a true child of God. He he proved himself to be an enemy to Christ. He did what he did. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave him up for money. And he he died that tragic death. And, And the brothers, the apostles, the 11 that were left... They saw their role as an office. We read about that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20. And they're there sat in the upper room considering what to do next. Well, they weren't considering what to do next. They were waiting what to do next. They were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And as they are waiting, they're, they're looking around and there's a place missing. There's an empty place. And that was where Judas was. And they said, let another take his office. An apostle's role was an office. It was an office within the church. They understood this to be an office which could only be filled by a man who'd seen the risen Christ like they had. And and so we read about this in uh, 21 and 22, that same chapter of Acts chapter 1. So one of the men, this is what they're looking for, this is a criteria, one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, until the day when he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. An apostle needs to see and know face to face the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the Apostle Paul stated exactly the same later in this same letter in in, in 1 Corinthians. If you flip over a few pages in 1 Corinthians uh, to 15, in verses 7 and 8, and Paul is talking about the apostles who've seen the risen Christ. And in verse 7 he says about Jesus, And he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The Apostle Paul had seen Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, face to face. And we know that happened on the road to Damascus. And this is the criteria. It's an office, and they need to be witnesses to his resurrection. And the Apostle Paul had seen that, and all the other apostles had witnessed to that. And the apostles had a special function in the church. They were to establish the foundation of the church on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That's why we had our reading in Ephesians, in Ephesians in chapter 2. And in verses 18 to 21, it really clearly outlines this. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Is talking about Jesus. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is a church. This is a church. This is what it's about. We've been cha- changed from being aliens, aliens and strangers. We've been, we've been changed from those who have been cut off by God because of our sin, and we've been brought into his family, his household, brought into the church. In verse 20, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The function, the special role, the job, the commissioning that the apostles had was to establish this foundation. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the chief cornerstone. Some of the other translations there have that rendered as the chief cornerstone. I think it was much better there as a chief cornerstone. He is the only cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the center of what the church's foundation is on. But the apostles were instrumental in building the foundation of the church. And how did they do this? How did they build the foundation of the church? They did this by bringing God's revelation, bringing God's word to his people. When the apostles spoke to the church, it was exactly the same as when the Old Testament prophets said, Thus saith the Lord. In the Old Testament, when God was speaking to his people, he spoke through the prophets of old, and the prophets said, thus says the Lord. And God was speaking to the people then through the prophet. And in the New Testament, God was speaking to his church through the apostle. It's exactly the same. The manner, what went behind it and how it happened, it may be different. Sometimes there's dreams, sometimes there's other things in the Old Testament. That's not important. What is important is that it was revelatory and it was authoritative. The apostles were speaking on behalf of God to the church. 
They were bringing God's word to the church. So a unique part of the spiritual gifts of being an apostle was they spoke on behalf of God. Chapter 2, sorry, 2 Peter and chapter 3. We can read this and flesh this out a bit more. So 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. What I will do is I'll put this slide up uh, in, in the WhatsApp group so you can get all these references after and check them out later as Bereans, which I know you will be doing. So he says this. Now this is in the second letter that I'm writing to. So yeah, okay. Second Peter, second letter. Beloved, in both them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of remembrance that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So listen to what's going on here. God is speaking through Peter's letter to the churches back then and to us now. And what has been told is the predictions of the holy prophet and the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ were brought through the apostles. The apostles were speaking on behalf of God. What a job. What a task. What a responsibility. The, the role of the apostle was just like the prophet in this sense, that it was authoritative and it was relatively... Rel, rel, thank you. And they brought God's word to the church. Again, 2 Peter and, and chapter 1, if you, chapter pages forward again. It says in verse 21 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, For prophecy never had an origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophets and the apostles spoke from God through the Holy Spirit. And so when the Corinthians read this, that is what they're thinking about. That is exactly what they're thinking about. And that is so important, yes? Because as we read God's Word now, that is what we've got to understand as an apostle. Because if we don't understand that as an apostle, we can make grave mistakes. And one of the grave mistakes we make is we talk about apostles being around now. And in the context of God's word and what these Corinthians understood the apostle to be and what God's word is laying an apostle out to be there, the role and the gift of apostle and prophet, as the Corinthians would understand it, is no more. Full stop. God's word. Finish. There are no more revelatory, sorry, and authoritative apostles and prophets. There is no one who is adding to God's word. Because this is what it means, yes? These people brought God's word to us. No one is bringing God's word to us in a fresh revelatory way. We have it all. It is closed. It is complete. And this is, this is the grave danger that we have. Is if we believe that the apostles and the prophets as the Corinthians understood them to be. And now we're saying that these people are equivalent 
to proclaiming God's word, the Bible. We're saying that they're equivalent to speaking on God's behalf directly, bringing extra revelation. And if someone's bringing extra revelation, they're threatening the sole authority and final authority of God's word in the scripture, and it puts them above the scriptures. You know what happens then? In churches where you have a man who puts himself above the scriptures, you have spiritual abuse happening. And I know tragically, some of you guys have escaped from being under those environments. It's real. It's horrendous. And it's wicked. And that's why I'm preaching this so strongly, because it's been laid upon my heart. The role of apostles and prophets, as it's understood biblically here in 1 Corinthians 12, has finished. You see, the church, the early church, grew, and they grew because Acts 2, first. 42, it tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and teaching. And that was enough for them then. And the letter to Hebrews chapter 2 explains it and develops it more. In verses 3 and 4, it explains it like this. It's talking about salvation. How shall we escape if we ignore so great salvation? This is the important bit. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Who heard him? The apostles. The apostles heard him, and the apostles proclaimed it, and the apostles have given us through this word, through God's word, uh, now for us in God's word, the Bible, the way of salvation. And back then, as they testified, as they brought God's word to the people, God accompanied it, verse 4, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In Acts, there were some amazing things happening. The things that the apostles and some of the other believers did are just incredible. The healings. The intuition of what was going on there. The fact that a hanky could be delivered to someone and they were healed. It was amazing. Now why did those signs and wonders happen then? Because what God was doing was speaking to the people through the apostles. And the apostles were bringing the way of salvation. And God was saying to everyone, this is the truth. The apostles who heard Jesus proclaim the way of salvation passed on this message. And the proof the message was true, and the proof that it was God's word, was through the Holy Spirit these men and women were able to do signs and wonders. And so, I've said, as we're going through this series... There are two opinions about the gifts of the Spirit. There are some people that believe they continue on, and there are some people believe that they have finished. I'm not talking about all the gifts of the Holy Spirit now whatsoever. And I want you to understand that clearly. But what I am saying emphatically, 
from God's word is the gift of apostle and prophet as laid out here in 1 Corinthians 12, as the Corinthians would have understood it, as Paul and the Holy Spirit intended to be understood here in this passage, that role is complete. The foundation of the church is set. God's word, the Bible, is complete. And God's word, the Bible, speaks to us now. And God's word, the Bible, is what we test everything against. Zoom time this evening will be time for questions, yeah? We will talk this through. We will discuss it. We will wrestle with it. We need to. But we move on to teachers now. And and, and the teachers that Paul is talking about here are those people that took the word of God given by the prophets and the apostles and they explain it and they apply it. Yeah? So these, these teachers, they don't bring fresh revelation. That's not their job. That job's finished. That job's the job of the apostle and prophets. What they do is they take God's word, or back then they would have took the teaching that Paul or others had shared, or they'd go back to the Old Testament, and, and they would take the, the passage of Scripture, and they would explain it. There is new insight, for sure. Pastor Andrew has been reading the Bible through for probably more years than he wants to remember. He wants to remember what he would learned. But each year, each time he opens God's word, something new is found there. It's just so full. And so, yes, there can be fresh insight. And yes, there can be fresh application. And yes, you can look at it and say, wow, I never realized that was there. But the teacher will not bring fresh revelation. Through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, he will bring understanding. The teacher cannot make up the truth. But they have to open it up. They have to give insight to it. They have to explain it. They have to illustrate it. They have to apply it. And the teacher is bound by the truth. And that's why I say to you guys, look, test what you hear by God's word. Don't just take what I am saying. Open God's word. We give you the references so that you can take these home and check it out. I am not authoritative. I am not revelatory. I am just teaching God's word. And tragically, sometimes I can get it wrong. And we come on Zoom, we talk about it. But here, friends, is is God's word. And and the teacher's role is to open God's word, is to explain it. And the teacher needs the Holy Spirit. Now, very often, apostles and prophets also had the gift of teaching too. But a teacher does, does not need to be an apostle or a prophet because that role is finished. But they do have to take God's word as their authority and final word. And if you want to find a good teacher and a good preacher, it's not the person who comes in with the exciting. It's not the person who comes in with the, the, the fresh revelation. It is the person who faithfully opens up God's word and faithfully says what God's word says to you. And yes, a teacher needs the Holy Spirit's help. A preacher needs the Holy Spirit's help. 
They cannot do it by themselves. I'm testament to that myself. I cannot preach and teach on my own. And, and the spiritual gift of teaching is the Holy Spirit enabling the teacher or the preacher in their study to get an understanding of what God's Word is saying. And then because of their knowledge of the flock or through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit prompting and showing them, they come up with what that application is. And then through the help of the Holy Spirit, they talk and they communicate and they preach God's Word. A good preacher isn't someone who is theatrical. A good preacher isn't someone who has all the emotion and cries in the right place. Those things might be there, but they're not the issue. That's not what makes someone a preacher. What makes someone a preacher is the Holy Spirit enabling them to preach. And if there's one thing you can pray for your preachers, is that the Holy Spirit deals with them in the study and enables them in the pulpit. And I'm sure if you pray that earnestly, you'll be blessed with sermons like you've never heard before. You see, the spiritual gift of teaching is the Holy Spirit's enabled ability for the preacher, teacher, to communicate God's Word, to communicate the Bible in the way that the listener can comprehend and the way the listener has a point to which they can act on. It's interesting to note in both the pastoral epistles in Timothy and Titus that it states that the elder of the church must be able to teach. And so as a church, as we look for elders, we need to look for people who have the gift of the Holy Spirit in teaching. That's what it is to be able to to teach. But it's also interesting that neither of the pastoral epistles talk of any other role within the church other than that of elder and deacon. There's no mention of apostle, no mention of prophet, no mention of healer for that matter, as I said before. It's just elder and deacon. And the elder needs that spiritual gift of the ability to teach, able to teach. So very, very practically, friends, we should be praying for our spiritual leaders as they share God's Word. We should be praying that they shouldn't just be given a natural ability to, 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 to preach, to, to speak, a natural oratory, a, a good manner. They're, they're all things that God can use, but they're not the important thing. We should be pleading with God that week by week, the Holy Spirit is given to those individuals as they deal with God's Word in their study. And as God deals with their hearts in this study, and as God enables them to preach that the Holy Spirit would enable them. And then the next two lists on the gift, the next two gifts on the list were going to be a bit weird and a bit strange for the Corinthians. The, the Corinthians were people who saw great, great value in the supernatural. Great value in the supernatural. They got excited by it. And, and we can see how excited they got by it in, in chapter 14, where things were needing to be brought into order. And chapter 12 also points to it as well. And, and so now Paul turns around to tell them, amongst these gifts of, of, of teaching, these gifts of uh, apostle and, and prophet, the gift of 
the, the, these, these big spiritual gifts of, of healing, he now turns around and says that they are gifts of helping and administration. Helping and administrating are, are spiritual gifts. And they're very broad, aren't they? I was thinking, what, does, what did helping and administrating look like 2,000 years ago? I mean, administrator now, you think of someone stuck behind a computer, don't you? That, that poor person in the, in the, in the, in the building, they're, they're tapping on that thing, and the system's down again, the system's down again. And that's like what an administrator seems to do these days. Well, that wasn't, what, what, were, what were they doing then? And I'm sure there's some tasks that were similar. I'm sure the church building was cleaned. Yeah? Friends, spiritual giftedness goes to that level. You see, these Corinthians are getting so excited by the big and the bold and the supernatural. And Paul's saying, look, it's not just that. It's the whole life of the church is brought under the, the administration and the Holy Spirit and the cleaning and the catering and the welcoming and the looking after the welfare list and the visiting the sick and the needy are all things that the church needs to do, and they come under this heading of helping and administrating. And some of you are possibly sat in your seat wondering, what is my spiritual gift? And you're thinking that you need to speak in tongues. You're thinking you haven't healed someone. You're thinking that that hasn't happened. And friend, you are helping somebody in need, and you're using your spiritual gift, and God is glorified. We need to see this differently. This is the part of the bombshell that Paul is loading onto these folk. He's saying, look, it's different. Yes, within a church family, there are people that will have teaching gifts and front roles and, and different things that are more visual. But the church is a whole body. And within this whole body, there are things as straightforward and as simple, if you put it like that, and it's not if you can't do them, as helping and as administrating. To sort of bring it up to date, if you like, updating the website, keeping the library books in good order, making sure the sound system is working, keeping the social media up to date, bouncing a child on your lap in the creche, looking after the children in the children's church. All these different things can be seen as spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church. And the gifts of the Spirit can be very, very, very practical but they will be for the good of the church. They will be for the good of the church. And then we're just beginning to see something of the filling here, yes? Some of those meats and juices, those exciting bits, are just beginning to squeeze in into the sandwich. But what's happened, yes, is these Corinthians have been obsessing on the practical elements of the gifts of the Spirit. That they've been so caught up in tongues. And, and they're shocked. They're shocked because tongues didn't even make the top three. Isn't it fascinating? There's a top three here. And tongues didn't even get there. And this church, as we can see from the passage and the concept, the context, was obsessed by tongues. And before tongues comes helping and administrating. Fascinating, isn't it? And that was a big shock for them. And it was the last in the list. And it's because there is something much, much, much better. 
And you have to wait till next week. Or carry on reading yourselves. But as we bring this here to ourselves, we need to ask ourselves here, what does this mean to us? What does this mean to you right now? And I think for many of us, we can just be relieved that in fact the gifts of the Spirit are so ordinary and everyday that we can be using them all the time. You can be cleaning the church building. You can be looking after the children. You can be taking care of the elderly. That will happen. But that's what it is to be a church. That's what it is to be part of the body. Friends, let's, let's not think that this bread is what it's all about. Let, let, let's ask the Lord to help us to use our gifts to his glory and in the light of what we're coming on to. And that's a bit of a spoiler, but that's where we're going. I'd just like you to take a few moments to pray and ask the Lord to help you to, to process what you've heard this morning. I will pray in a moment, and then we will sing together, and I'll close in prayer. So please take a few moments yourself. Almighty God, as we think in the quiet of our own hearts now, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be actively working, showing us personally what we need to take home from what we've heard this morning. Although God, forgive us for when we've got things wrong. Forgive us for when we've taught things wrong. Forgive us for when we've gone after the wrong stuff. Help us, O oh Lord God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep us from grieving the Holy Spirit with sin and wrong attitudes. And, oh Lord God, may you just help us to be that one body. May you help us to use the gifts and abilities that you've given us, and the spiritual gifts as well. And may it be to the good of one another. May it be for our common good, for the good of the church. And may it bring honor and glory to your great and holy name. Oh Lord God, protect us and keep us from the many temptations there are with this subject of, of getting it wrong, of, of going too far down one area or one another area. Keep us on your way. Keep us close to you. And may we bring glory to your name in how we walk and live as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen.